0: As I'm done shuffling stuff around here. Okay. Heavenly Father, uh, pray that you'd be with us this morning and help us to, to hear from you, Lord. I pray that I would be uh, faithful to the, the scriptures and that um, your word would uh, just be a light in the lives of the folks who are here today. Um, a light illuminating um, who you are and what you desire from them. Um, and most of all, illuminating Christ and his, his amazing work on our behalf at the cross. In Jesus' name. Amen. So I, uh, I have in the last couple of years, um, taken up the habit of, uh, resolutions. I like New Year's resolutions and I've managed to keep like three of them, which is huge. And, and, and I, uh, I set a really lofty goal in, in January, uh, that I would lose 30 pounds by the end of the year. 37, actually, and I, I was doing very well. In about March, I was down 18 pounds, and now I'm up three, not from 18, <laughs> uh, but from where I started, and I, I, I've discovered I have this weakness, um, and that is when I see things that I want to eat, I eat them. <laughs> um, I know it's unusual, probably the only one who suffers from this malady. Um, the other problem I've discovered is that, um, like this morning I, I, I've been working out again and I said, I'm going to get up early on Sunday because I'm not going to be able to go to the gym during the day. I'm going to get up nice and early. I'm going to go to the gym and it, it, I set the alarm and then I set a second alarm on my phone and a third alarm so that I would be sure to wake up. And I, I woke up with the first alarm. I sat up and I, I got, got my phone and I started to get my clothes together to, to, go downstairs and i sat there for a second and i thought man i'm really tired but man the bed is really comfortable and the air conditioner's nice and and man the gym is such a long way away and i thought man what's going to benefit sunday morning better me getting enough sleep or me going for a run on the treadmill and and in the end it was obvious for you guys i had to sleep a few more hours <laughs> You're welcome. I I don't mind taking a bullet for you, um, and so I I did just that. I turned off all my alarms. Unfortunately, I need to move them to different places, um, or if I get up an alarm that makes coffee next to the bed, that would probably be it. Um, but but I I so my other my other huge downfall is that if I want to do something more than I want to do something that's right. I tend to do the thing I want to do. All right. Anybody else have this problem? Like this, in relation to my weight gain and loss and gain and loss and, and my going to the gym and stuff like that, is fairly minor. This is a minor issue until it becomes related to major issues. Right? Um, major issues like when my wife and I disagree, and instead of being loving and patient, I yell at her, which never happens. Um, <laughs> Or instead of being a good steward, I find a new toy that I want, and I, you know, weigh it and I think, well, but God surely wants me to be happy, um, or or what have you. I mean, there are all of these areas where this this tendency in me, and I'm gonna guess in y'all, right? Anybody else have these problems, or is it just me? <laughs> tends to kind of creep in. This is, uh, this is the flesh, right? Like Paul calls it the flesh. And it is the theme of Samson's story, okay? We're, we're getting into Samson proper, and, and the theme of his story is um, doing what he feels like doing, um, even if it means having a temper tantrum in the middle of church, because <laughs> he wants what he wants, and he wants it now, Right? Um, and that is the philosophy he lives by as we dive into the text. Um, Samson is the last of the judges. Last week we started talking about him, but he didn't make it into the story. Um, and this week we're going to kind of just take a little chunk of the text um, for the very beginning of his life. And, and be aware, like, Samson is the very last judge. The first judge we encountered was ideal. He was like the perfect version of a judge. And there's this perfect version of a judge, judge's story where he beats the enemy, like, with God's hand at his side, and he gives God all the glory for it, and then he finds this ideal, like, like, Israelite woman and marries, or Jewish woman, and he marries her in this ideal way, and like, God is, you know, clearly evident throughout, and everybody does the right thing, and there's sort of this, like, perfect version of people, right? Um, and then we get to Samson at the very end and we see the pattern play out where everything's a decline. Every judge is worse. Every judge is crummy every judge is more sinful, except for Deborah, who's great. I say it every time, um, but it's worth noting. And then we get to Samson and Samson is the pits, right? He is the worst um, to quote a popular television show. Um, and, and so like we are at the end of judges, After Samson, there aren't even judges. It's just chaos. Um, But Samson, like real quick, important thing that's going to play out in this text that we're going to look at, Samson was a Nazarite, right? That is not the same thing Jesus was, a man from Nazareth, right? A Nazirite, spelled Z-I-R, is somebody whose life was set apart or who took an oath to be set apart for God's purpose. And as a part of that, they never cut their hair, which is why Samson had long hair, right? although there were certain instances where they should cut their hair, and we'll talk about that in a second. Um, So he was never supposed to cut his hair. He was never supposed to drink alcohol, and he was never supposed to eat unclean foods, right? And so these are the three provisions every Nazarite did. Um, The only one we remember is Samson never cut his hair, right? And that's because it's a tension for church people. Long hair versus, you know, like obeying God. Long, Which is it? Um, So... (laughs) That was from Michael. Um, <laughs> um, and so we, we get into this, and he's got this Nazarite vow, and God is going to aid him as long as he's in this Nazarite vow, meaning he is set apart for God's purpose. Um, and that is huge, because everything in the Jewish life, like the Jewish people, all of the laws are all about being set apart for God's purpose. They didn't eat unclean animals, because... Um, they were set apart for God's purpose. They didn't touch dead things or handle them or eat roadkill or anything like that because they were supposed to be above that kind of thing. They didn't marry non-Jewish folks because they're set apart for God's purpose, so they're only married within the Jewish community. They didn't, like, all of these things, even some of the food laws, right? Like, um, all of the unclean foods are animals that land in between categories, like lobster, right, sea, sea spiders, um, are fish in the sense that they live in the water, Right? But they're not fish in the sense that they don't have gills, and they don't have scales, and they don't have... And so they land right in between, and so they weren't allowed to eat them as a symbol of, you guys are this, not that. Don't think you can stand in the middle. Everybody with me? Um, That little bit of history and theology brought to you anyway. Um, And so we start up Judges with Samson who is still quite young, um, but old enough to get married, apparently, so he's probably an early teenager. Samson, Samson went down to Timnah, and at Timnah he saw one of the daughters of the Philistines. Now, real quick, the Philistines were the people who were oppressing the Jewish people, right? They are the enemy. Samson's specific job is to chase the Philistines out of Israel. That is his, you know, you had one job that is it. And the Jewish people are at a point, we talked about this last week, where they just don't care that they're being oppressed anymore. They've sort of given up. They're, you know, they love the the oppressor. They, they're they totally fine with it. It's like North Korea, where like like everybody loves that Kim Jong guy, even though he's, you know, clearly nuts. Um, but they love him anyway, right? Like these people, they, they, they're cool with the Philistines. They're not like intermarrying with them just yet, but like... They're not fighting them. They're not asking God to get rid of them. They're just sort of accepting it. So he sees this daughter of a Philistine. Then he came up and told his father and mother, I saw one of the daughters of the Philistines at Timnah. Now get her for me as my wife. Um, so Samson's job is to kill the Philistines. And instead, he picks the route that, like, is sort of the opposite, right? I mean, he's marrying the enemy. No jokes involved. I'm not going to say anything. He is just marrying the enemy. He is, like, like doing the opposite of what he's supposed to be doing. Um, he, he So out of the gate, what we're hinted at is Samson doesn't really care that much about the oath, right? He's supposed to be set apart for God's purpose, and he's supposed to have a job. And instead of being set apart and instead of doing his job, he's intermingling with the enemy, Um why is he doing it? We don't actually know. It doesn't tell us. If I was going to guess, I would guess that things I'm not supposed to eat just look a heck of a lot tastier, right? Things I'm not supposed to have, the grass on my neighbor's lawn is strangely greener than mine. I'm pretty sure they're watering on the wrong days or something because uh, <laughs> if I only had that. She is kind of the forbidden fruit. And Samson sees her and he's like, I want this woman as my wife, um, He's, he's out of bounds now. Um, but the driving the driving theme in Samson's life is, I want what I want, and I want it now. And so, here we are. Um, he asked his parents to, to marry him off to a Philistine, but his father and mother said to him, is there not a woman amongst the daughters of your relatives or amongst all our people that you must go and take away from the uncircumcised Philistines? But Samson said to his father, get her for me. For she is right in my eyes. Now, uh, Manoah, Samson's father, probably isn't an overtly religious Jew, right? Um, however, in the ancient world, you married amongst your people, right? If you married people from foreign nations, like you got no advantage from it. Um, it was it was generally considered to be a big deal to not marry foreigners. Um, unless you were doing it for political power, and Manoah is not concerned about political power, and so he, you know, hey, what are you doing? And Samson disobeys a commandment here, right? He doesn't obey his father and mother. Got that, Abby? Um, <laughs> he he doesn't care about what's expected of him. He's not interested in the in the you know this is what my parents say I should do. He says, hey, hey, and ask for your opinion. Get her for me, for she is right in my own eyes. Anybody know that phrase? Um, whenever God's people reach a low point. The description is, everybody did what was right in their own eyes. Meaning, they didn't allow God to decide right and wrong. They decided right and wrong. Which, by the way, kind of a cool little thing here. That is what Sam, what Satan promises, um, um Adam and Eve in the beginning, right? You know, like, like you'll become like God. You'll decide what's right and wrong. And, and so ultimately what Samson is doing is he's demonstrating that he is. Not really a godly man. She's right in my eyes. She looks good. This is the right decision for me. Um, I, I'm gonna hit pause here. I uh I've heard this, like one of the things I I uh I've heard, like I, I when we were in Indiana, one of the first pastors I worked for was heavily involved in the denomination. And uh this is when we were Presbyterians before we got saved and became church of God. Uh <laughs> he, and he was, he was involved in the denomination and he would be involved in like, like one of his jobs in the denomination was, I think he was involved in investigating like pastoral misconduct. And that would be when pastors would like have affairs or steal money or whatever. And one of the most common, he told me this and I've remembered this forever. One of the most common phrases he would say is, pastors would tell me, doesn't God want me to be happy? Right? I know she's not my wife, and I know she's got her own husband and her own kids and everything else, but would God really begrudge me this? I've done so much for him. Doesn't he want me to be happy? And, like, actually, we interviewed at a church where the previous pastor had had an affair, and that was kind of the underlying thing. Like, doesn't God want me to be happy? I'm working so hard. Can't I just be happy? And, like, like that is this. That is do what's right in my own eyes. Um, and we see it a lot, like this is the, kind of the theme song of our culture. I'm going to do what I want because it makes me happy. And if it makes me happy, God must be alright with it. If it can't, if it makes me happy, it can't be that bad. That seems like it came from somewhere. But I wouldn't acknowledge knowing where. Um, (laughs) his father and mother did not know that it was from the Lord that he was seeking an opportunity against the Philistines. At that time, the Philistines ruled over Israel. So now, God knows Samson is not going to do his job. He's accepted the fact that Samson is going to not be obedient. And so what he does is he says, well, Samson's picked out an area to sin, and I'm just going to go ahead and go with it. And we are going to play off of Samson's weakness to accomplish our goals." (laughs) And so Samson, like, not going to go out and fight the enemy on purpose. So God says... You're going to fight the enemy on my terms. And you're, you know, and so like Samson, from this point forward, we don't see him do a doggone thing right. Or at least not a doggone thing for the right reasons. Everything he does from this point forward is all about Samson. Right? What's right in his own eyes. But God takes all of that dumb behavior and accomplishes his goal. Right? Which, Well, I'm not going to get into that. All right. So everybody with me? So even though we see Samson acting dumb, God is accomplishing through him. Um, Then Samson went down with his father and mother to Timnah, and they came to the vineyards of Timnah. And behold, a young lion, the Hebrew there is a lion of lions, uh, came came toward him roaring, and the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon him. And although he had nothing in his hand, he tore the lion in pieces as one tears a young goat. And he did not tell his father or his mother what he had done. I've never torn a young goat to pieces. Sarah? No? All right. <laughs> I've never done that. I'm assuming it's easier than tearing up a lion. Can we all agree? Unless it's from Detroit. Um it was a football joke. <laughs> so, um, Samson is there. And by the way, Samson does not beat this lion of his own strength, right? Samson, it doesn't say Samson had been hitting the gym regularly and was, you know, eating his veggies and taking his vitamins and he had gotten pretty strong. Samson was kind of an ordinary dude until this point, And all of a sudden, God steps in and God gives him this astonishing ability to tear up a lion like it's nothing, right? Samson is suddenly a very tough guy a very big and strong and like powerful man but it's not because samson is that it is because god is stepping in alongside him and helping him god is making him capable of doing things and so he does this thing now samson has broken a basic rule at this point that's kind of funny Because he does something in self-defense, and the Jewish law accommodates for this. But by tearing the lion up, he's come into contact with a dead body, with a carcass, right? And according to Jewish law, that made him unclean. And so what Samson is supposed to do now is he's supposed to go to a priest, and he's supposed to go through a ritual uncleansing our ritual cleansing, excuse me, not uncleansing that would be the opposite he 's supposed to go through a ritual cleansing that takes about a week, like eight days, and so he 's supposed to go and do this and weirdly enough, there are special rules for Nazarites to be like like cleansed there is a special set of rules applying, including the shaving of his head isn 't that weird like so in order to keep his commitment to god he would have had to go and do all of this stuff and he would have been right to cut his hair at that point because he would have been following god's rules but instead of doing that he's on his way like he's thinking he's not thinking with his head at this point he's on his way to meet this gal who he doesn't know but plans on marrying because she's mysterious and attractive and everything else he wants right he he doesn't know about her but he wants her um and so he he Instead of, like, he has become unclean, and instead of taking care of, like, the uncleanliness, he went down and talked to the woman, and she was right in Samson's eyes. Pretty much everything that Samson wants to do is what's right in his eyes. Got it? Like, <laughs> it's all about what Samson wants. And so he goes down, he ignores what he's told to do, he ignores, like, the regulations that are on him, um, and he actually doesn't even tell anyone... He doesn't even tell anyone that he killed a lion with his bare hands, right? Because if he did, then his family would know that he was ritually unclean and he was supposed to go and do something, and he doesn't. He doesn't really care about being unclean in the same way as he doesn't care about marrying a Philistine. Like, he just doesn't. He's going to do what he wants. Um, He's going to do what's right in his eyes. After some days, he returned to take her, and he turned aside to see the carcass of the lion. Why on earth did he do this, right? I mean, living in Montana, everybody knows what happens after three or four days of laying out in the sun, right? I mean, like, this is not a pleasant trip. My suspicion is Samson took a sidetrack to check out what he did. You all ever do that? Like, I, I built a swing out of out of spare scrap wood in the yard. I built, like, a porch swing. And I spent about three months going out in the middle of the day just to look at it and realize I built a porch swing, <laughs> and some of the angles are even straight. <clears throat> um, I think Samson backs up and starts thinking, "Man, I did something pretty awesome. I killed a lion. Heck, if I killed a lion, <laughs> it would be it would be central to every sermon I preach from here until the end of my life. Like I would tell you all about it forever." Um, and so he goes out and he checks out what he did. Um, By the way, this is another mistake, because he's coming into contact with a dead body again. But we've already established Samson doesn't care about being unclean. And behold, there was a swarm of bees in the body of the lion and honey. Now we're going to pause here. I don't know a whole lot about bees, but I know they don't live in dead animals. Sound right? Like, it just does not happen. What lives in dead animals is usually flies and maggots and beetles and other nasty little things that I want no contact with, right? Instead, there are bees, and there's a symbol here. There's a collection of symbols here, and it's worth picking up on. Um, First off, this is going to play into a story that's going to happen later on, but in the immediate, um, the people of Israel are a little like a dead carcass. Everybody with me? They're not following God. They're not worrying about their religious duties. They're not worried about anything that God expects out of them. They're slowly becoming Canaanites. They're slowly devolving away from what God is doing. But God continues to work in them despite it. That's my guess on the symbolism. Um, but neither here nor there, it provides a great opportunity for Samson to have a snack. I don't know about y'all. I mean, like, admittedly, there weren't many candy options back then, and finding honey for an ancient, like, Middle Easterner was like finding a, a, a pot of gold, or like that hidden candy that the kids haven't found yet. Um, <laughs> some of y'all know what I'm talking about. <laughs> the, the, I mean, finding honey was a huge deal. And so he finds this honey, and he scraped it out into his hands, and went on eating as he went. What has he just done? First off, he's done something gross, but he's a guy. Secondly, he's eating an unclean food, not because honey itself was unclean, but because for food to be ritually clean, it had to, like, be prepared in a clean way, and it cannot have come into contact with anything that was either unclean or had been in contact with unclean stuff. So, like, if you're going to make a kosher sandwich, right, that is a thing. Um, and, and you, you sit down to make your cut a kosher sandwich, but on your cutting board and with your knife, you've cut up ham earlier in the day. You can't cut up your food for the kosher sandwich with that knife or with the the cutting board because ham, which is unclean had been on it. Everybody with me? The lion is super unclean, right? The honey coming out of the lion is unclean by extension, but Samson eats it. What are the three provisions? Don't cut your hair, don't get drunk, and don't eat anything that's unclean. And so Samson right out of the gate tosses that, tosses that commitment aside and eats the honey. Um, Not only that, he came to his father and mother and gave some to them and they ate because he didn't care about them eating unclean food. And also because I think it's like most guys when they make food in the kitchen, we drop stuff on the floor, we scrape it back in so nobody can see and we keep moving like he shares. It's very nice of him, but it's also spreading uncleanliness like his father and mother have now become ritually unclean, but he doesn't care because Samson doesn't really care about God because Samson cares about Samson period. Samson cares about what feels good, what's fun, what tastes good, what makes him happy right here, right now. Um, but he did not tell them that he had scraped the honey from the carcass of the lion, for obvious reasons, I suppose. Um, we're going to stop there. The next section is about Samson's wedding. Um, we're stopping here because there's a lot that's worth unpacking in this, and we don't want to miss the important stuff, right? Um Samson's attitude is selfish. Um, And it's easy to look at Samson in two different ways, right? You read the ancient Jewish folks, and actually, like the rabbis, but also, as I was reading commentaries on this, I read a handful of commentaries that talked about how what Samson was doing was a good thing, eating the honey out of the carcass of a lion. Like, he was breaking the rules, and a lot of the commentators don't even acknowledge that. They talk about how... Oh well, God had given him this great gift in the honey, and he was in. Enjoy- and it, you know why they do that? Because they want Samson to be an action hero. I, we don't have a Christian bookstore on Great Falls, but it always struck me as funny that there are Samson, like Samson was the most popular action figure, right, with his long hair and everything else. It's the only. Well, anyway, um, but Samson, like, despite the fact that he was an action hero, like that was the good quality about him, right? He might have been good looking. He probably had great hair. Um, But that was it. Samson was not like a godly man. Samson was not a man who like exemplified um, obedience to God. In fact, Samson marries the enemy because she's attractive. Like his, his job, his calling, his commitment mean nothing to him. He is only concerned about his own deal. But it's easy to look at Samson and say, man, this guy is awesome. He beats guys up. He tears apart lines with his bare hands. He's like Hercules, only like not pagan. Except he's not. Like like he actually is pagan for the most part. Is really the problem. Um, When we look at folks, now watch this, and this is important. When we look at anyone, we have to realize, and I talked about this in the last sermon, but I think it's the life lesson of Samson and how we handle him, like in the church today. Um, we have to realize that anybody you encounter was once like that dead lion, right? Like we are all spiritually dead from birth. We are all separated from God. Our sin creates a barrier between us and God that is permanent. And not only is it permanent, if you really want to have like a bit of, of a crass time, sit down and hunt down all the prophecies and all the texts dealing with God's attitude towards sin, right? Apparently, I almost made somebody throw up once, Repeating what Isaiah said about, about sin, like, like comparing, comparing it to, to gross things. Like the scriptures is, they're not gentle or nice in their description of sin. God is horrified and disgusted and furious about sin. And like Samson is spiritually dead apart from God in him. And the same is true for any of us, right? The same is true for Jeremy. Same is true for, for Michael. The same is true for me. The same is true for all of us. Um, apart from Christ, I am, I'm a dead body. Like, I may not have fallen down yet, but I'm not spirit, I'm not alive in the most meaningful ways. Only because Jesus died to take punishment for my sins, and Christ gives me new life, new intimacy with God, makes me a new creation. That is the only reason that there's anything worth, like, anything about me, right? I'm not saying you're all worthless. I'm not saying, I'm saying that, like, the best parts of us is Jesus in us. The best parts of us is Christ expressing himself through us, like, through his grace and mercy. We can't look at Samson and say how awesome this guy is. Ultimately, like, we end up looking at him and saying Samson was kind of a crummy guy, but God worked through him, right? Despite him. Sometimes it's a case in my life. Sometimes God works through me, despite me. My worst sins and rebellion have turned into opportunities to minister to folks. And that's not because I'm great. It's because God's great. He put honey in the dead body that is me, right? The honey of his spirit and the honey of Christ. Um, the, it's not a great analogy. <laughs> He made me alive, and he made me new. And, like, the worthwhile things that come out of me are from him. And the worthwhile things that come out of you are from him. And so when you see a preacher that's fallen, like, that's not a reason to abandon the faith. It's a reason to back up and pray, right? When you see Christians who are hypocrites, it's not a reason to say, well, Jesus doesn't exist. Um, it's a reason to realize that, like, there but by the grace of God go I. And the best things about those people is not them. It's Christ in them. Um The second way that we approach Samson is to say there's nothing good. And ultimately, um, the same principle applies, right? God was in Samson. God picked Samson out as crummy as he was, and God used him. Um, And so we can't back up and say, well, he's worthless, because he wasn't. Because God can use even the most flawed and broken vessel to accomplish his aims. Um, even when Jesus was, was like the Pharisees and the Sadducees gathered up and they had decided they were going to have Jesus crucified, right? And the, the head Pharisee, um, he stepped or the head Sadducee, the head, the chief priest steps up and says, it's better for one man to die for the sins of a nation. Um, and he prophesies like he's planning to kill Jesus He's not a prophet in the proper sense, but God speaks through him and accomplishes his goals through him, despite the fact that he was wicked. Like, ultimately, the best thing you can hope for in life, the best thing you can hope for as a believer, as a follower of Christ, as somebody who knows that God is there, like, is to be used for God, used by God for his like purposes, because ultimately we don't acquire glory, we glorify God. Our purpose is to reflect his glory and to like magnify his glory. That is what we exist for. Um, Is there some practical stuff here? Well, of course there is. Um, What drives your decisions, folks, right? What makes you decide? What makes you decide like how to how to spend your money, how to get married, how to use your spare time, how to, like, all of these things. Like, is it comfort purely? I'm not saying comfort and rest are bad. I actually love them and enjoy them regularly and encourage all of you to do the same. Like, these are things that God gave us as a gift. But at the same time, like, me picking comfort because it glorifies God or prepares me for his service versus me picking comfort because I want what I want and I want it now. That's a very different animal, right? Do we choose? Do we choose to spend our money in ways that glorifies God? Do we choose to use our words in ways that glorify God? And honestly, this is a hard one. Um, I have a natural gift for picking on people. I I know it's a shock, And, and and it is it is a weight around my neck half my life because I I without even thinking. The words just kind of pop out, right? Um, and people laugh, and I feel cool, and everything else, but like, man, I've heard a lot of people along the way doing that nonsense, and I'm I'm sorry for it, right? Um, I'm at my best when I back up and say, what does God want me to say? You know, or how do I build this person up? Even if it means teasing, I don't think teasing is always bad, um, but ultimately, like, if I allow my own drive to, to lead that, like, it becomes destructive, and it's been very destructive in my life. I've you know, wish it weren't the case, but it's just the way it is. Uh, but at times, it's also built people up, and it's used, been used to teach, and it's been used to to accomplish good things. Sometimes, despite myself, um, like the biggest application to come away from here is, like, like from this chunk of the story is, like, are you are you carrying yourself and making decisions the way Samson made them, right? For practical components, like, do you pick what's comfortable? Do you pick what's easy? Do you pick what's selfish or what looks good to you? Are you picking things based on what God has called you to do and called you to be and how God has called you to live? There's a, there's a joke I, I've heard several times. It's always funny to me. Um, this, this pastor's kid is, uh, talking to his friends and, and he says, yeah, my dad, he, he got a job offer in another church this week. And, and it's, it's a bigger church and it's a lot more money and it's in a nicer town and, and my dad has been praying about it all week, trying to decide what, what to do. And the kid's friend says, well, what's your mom thinking?" He's like, well, she's packing. <laughs> um, amazingly enough, God doesn't want all of us to go on mission trips to Hawaii. I wish, wish it was the case. <laughs> but but he doesn't. Some of us have to go to mission like some of us, a lot of us, will end up going on missions to, to places that are dirty and gross and unpleasant and pagan where there's actual work to be done. I'm not saying there's not work to be done in, you know, Honolulu, because I'm quite certain there is. But is God's calling, is God's desire in your life just a mask that your desire wears? Like, pray about these things and ask. Like, what is God actually calling me to be? What is He calling me to do? Am I chasing after the glorious and the fun? Which is actually one of those things that preachers do a lot right now. Um, I'm not going to name names. I'm going to be good, but like these guys will say things like, God wants you to plan like huge dreams and to accomplish these, these amazing things in your life. Like, you know, building giant, you know, empires and, and, you know, giant stuff. Is it the case that God can't do those things? No, but it's often the case that preachers will say that because they want you to think I can glorify myself and God gets glory along the way. So everybody wins. It's not the way God operates. Samson disguised his will as God's. Well, actually, I don't think he even disguised it. That's not true. <laughs> Samson, Samson, for Samson's will, like his will was God, his carnal nature, his lust, his hunger, his everything was God. Um is that who you are? Um and if it's the case, like we the, the, the process of eliminating this is is digging down and changing. It's prayer, it's accountability. Accountability is miserable. Isn't it true? Any y'all ever been set up with somebody who keeps you accountable, who says hard things to you that make you like, oh, I guess I got to fix that? Um, But apart from accountability, like we can do all kinds of horrible things in the dark, right? Like digging out and changing requires like spiritual leadership, accountability, close relationships with other believers, and like commitment to prayer in the scriptures, like knowing God's word so you know what He wants from you. my challenge for you today is is to back up and to look at your heart and your life. Are there people you've made into idols? If you've done that to me, and I can't imagine anybody in their right mind would, don't. I, I'm a statue with clay feet, right? Like, I'll topple eventually. I'm not planning on it, but I'm not Jesus. Um, does somebody else stand in Jesus' place? And then after that, like, what do you do with His calling on your life? What do you do with Christ crucified on your behalf? How do you carry that? What do you do with it? Where do you apply it? How is it changing you? How is it making you into a like, into Christ-like people? Um, and if you're not, if it's not happening, like, take concrete steps to make it happen because it's what you're here for. The worst thing I can imagine ever happening in my own life is getting to the end and and saying, "Man, I didn't accomplish anything that God set me out to do." Let's close in prayer and and um, Heavenly Father, I pray that you would be with us. I pray that you would prick our consciousness consciences constantly, Lord, that we would just be driven to seek you out in our heart, in our lives, in our motives, in our actions, in our direction, in everything, Lord. Make us into people who are like people of your will and people of your word and people who act according to your heart and show Jesus to the folks that we come into contact with. Change us through and through. In Jesus' name, amen.